Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, we have one of the best books I've read in this industry for a really long time. We have the author on the show. So Mm -hmm. without further ado, Mm -hmm. please introduce her. Yes. Thank you, Serge. And I agree. Like I haven't been this excited about a book in our industry for quite a few years. So I have the pleasure of introducing our guest today, Hilka Shellman, who's the author of The Algorithm, How AI Decides Who Gets Hired, Monitored, Promoted, and Fired, and Why We Need to Fight Back. Welcome to the show, Hilka. Thank you for having me. And I don't know if you can see I'm blushing that <laughs> you are so excited about the book. That's really wonderful because when you write a book, you often think, is anybody going to be interested in this? Uh, you oh, know, you know. yeah. I think the very first week that you published, and you probably picked up on it, it's called Recruiting Brain Food. And it's a newsletter that goes around the world. It's the biggest community of talent acquisition professionals. And it went out on the social media feed saying, hey, has anybody read this book? And so Serge was like, oh, yeah, I'm already on chapter three. (laughs) So so we're so and we love the perspective here. But before we get too much further down the path, can you just share a little bit of who you are and a little bit about how you came to write a book that is so specific to our little niche in this world, recruiting and, and technology? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a tech journalist per se. And in fact, I've been a journalist for many years now. I've been originally from Germany, but I don't know, I studied at Columbia Journalism and I just kept hanging out here in the US and made it my home now. You know, and I've done investigative reporting in Pakistan on sexual assault. I've looked at student loans in the US for Vice on HBO. I've worked at the Wall Street Journal, which was great training, but I've never really looked into tech and I certainly have no affinity to AI per se. But at the end of 2017, I was at a conference with consumer lawyers in Washington, D.C., people who had no clue what AI was and possibly still don't. But I needed a ride from the conference to the train station. And I called myself a Lyft, an Uber competitor. And I got in the car and I just chatted with the driver and asked him how his day was. And he was not saying like, oh, yeah, it was great. He's like, you know, it's been a little weird. And I was like, tell me more. He's like, I was interviewed by a robot. I was like, interviewed by a robot? What? Never heard of this, a job interview by a robot. So it turns out that probably wasn't a robot, but probably a pre-recorded voice, right? Somebody called his number and this pre-recorded voice asked him three questions. He had applied for a baggage handler position at a local airport. And then I started after going to another conference and hearing that there is a lot of algorithms, AI, tech moving into the space and going to these conferences, I was just blown away what was happening. And at the time, early 2018, I saw Harry of you on the stage and talking about the facial emotional recognition, intonation of people's voices that they check for hiring. And I was just blown away. And I was like, whoa, this sounds magic. Like somebody found the holy grail of hiring because we humans are so biased in hiring, right? And that we hire people and then they fail within the first year and a half or so. Uh, And clearly it's a very inexact science with a lot of unconscious bias. And I was like, maybe this is the answer. And I started looking much more closely to some of the methods and how it's being done and found out that actually it's not as magic as we thought it would be. Some of these tools you know, may cause more harm than good. And there are some uh, things that I uncovered that I think should be of interest to everyone, that if we don't closely monitor these tools, they can totally go haywire a little bit on us. 
What was the one thing that shocked you the most when you were researching for this book? I think a couple of things. I, I think that when I started looking into facial expression analysis, like yeah. I had just assumed yeah. that there was a sound sign underneath that, right? If we check people's facial expressions for the job, I just had assumed that there's scientific evidence underneath that. And when I started talking to experts in the field of like emotion recognition and a facial meaning, it was just like, very interested to find out that the consensus is no longer that we have six or seven emotions that we all share in the same facial expressions, but also that there's really no science what facial expressions we need for the job. And these are correlations. And I think I found that again and again, that there's correlations versus causation. And I don't think we look really deeply here. And I think sometimes it's fine to use some of these tools in advertising or something Mm. like that, right? If a company serves me the wrong ad because they got me wrong, Tough luck for them, right? But if I don't get a job because I was inferred to be a risk taker and risk taking isn't part of who the people are that are currently in the job and how they played the game, and it turns out risk taking has nothing to do with the job, you know, I would be really upset. So I do think it matters. And I think another thing that I see coming is that a lot of the predictive health analysis is coming into the space. And I think there will be a lot of tension about privacy, right? Like if I have a mental health diagnosis, but a company is going to use a vocal biomarker to analyze my speech streams, maybe to help me with services. But through that, they might find out that I'm depressed or anxious. Like, how do I feel about that? And how may this data be used? There's going to be a whole new world opening up for us. I I think you mentioned something in there that is a big realization for a lot of us. And that is we all assume the science is there. And even as industry insiders, I still make the assumption that there's been a lot of research and development to make sure that this actually works and it validates. But what has come to fruition and HireVue is the perfect example. Because when you start researching the book, HireVue was doing facial recognition And they quickly pulled it out because there was obvious bias. Talking to other folks in the industry and everything, do you think, do they understand that they're being measured in a way that they might not understand? No. I mean, I think all of the job applicants I've ever talked to assume who did one-way video interviews that a human is watching the videos, right? And maybe that some of the companies have disclosed that they use AI in the fine print, but I don't think the job applicants necessarily look through all of that, right? So they all assume that a human watches it, even though I knew that some of the companies only utilize the AI tool in these one-way video interviews. And I could pretty clearly say that the AI was used on folks. They didn't know that. You know what? And I actually think the vendors themselves so often built these tools assume that there's science underneath these things. So when I talk to people about how do they uh, find out our personality traits in one-way video interviews using the words that I say, and one company I spoke to at an HR conference said like, oh yeah, there was like a little library in Python that did that. And I was like, oh, and how do you know it works? They're like, well, it's in Python. I'm assuming somebody tested that and it's scientifically yeah. viable. So I think they believe themselves that you use like effective computing, which is the basis of the emotion recognition software, that somebody double checked that that worked. And most of the time they didn't. <laughs> Yeah, it is a little frightening. One thing about one-way video interviews, because I think what they bring to the table is like that they're actually structured interviews, right? Mm. And I think that is a good thing. We Mm -hmm. see from science, it's the chit-chatting and the, you know, who you know, and, and, and all of that is a great human connection, but it's actually not very helpful to try to get bias out of the interview process. That is one thing that a one-way video forces companies to have structured interviews. 
that is something helpful in the process. But I think a lot of job applicants don't perceive one-way video interviews as something good. I've had maybe a handful who said, it was fine. I didn't care that much. I could do it on my own time. And that was cool. But most people were just really upset that the companies wouldn't put the, the resources out, that they couldn't ask questions. I felt there was dehumanizing. And I think it left a sour taste in a lot of job applicants' mouth. Do they have a lot of power to change it? Probably not. They will do it because a lot of them want to have the job, right? If you ask them right. this assessment, they're not going to say no. Even if you maybe disclose to them that you use AI, what are they going to do? If they want the job, they'll do the one-way video interview, right? Yes. And Ilka, that's been my biggest soapbox, shall we say, about one-way video interviews. It's like, okay, I'm going to make you dance for me. Because who holds all the power in this relationship? It's the employer. So making you go through this ridiculous process of a one-way video interview, you're right. It is the most inhumane thing to do to somebody. Thank you for that chapter. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) yay, Hilka. But let's come back to, and I love the title of this chapter, Does the Algorithm Like You? (laughs) Very clever. Because... It talked a lot about what we on the other side of the screen. Yeah. That is recruiters. What is our biggest complaint about the tools we are given to do the job is the resume parsing, right? It was not designed by anybody in recruitment. It's that unfulfilled promise to HR that we will somehow make this process better that we will now have data about the applicants and who's qualified. But since 1999 to present day, I've yet to see a resume parsing tool that works. So from our side of the screen, it's going to miss the gem, right? Recruiters Mm -hmm. are looking for that one gem of a candidate that just said, forget it. I'm not going to answer your stupid question, but here's my resume, which may get you disqualified. So my question is, around the resume parsing. And so in your research, did you talk to any recruiters? Anyone yeah, who yeah. sits on our side of the screen? Yeah, and about- totally. I did. I did. That's why I found out that some of them shared with me that if they maybe use LinkedIn to surface candidates on their own, they put in often the skills, the job title, and the location. And that's how I found out that skills is super important to highlight in your resume or your LinkedIn profile, right? And that's a really fair point. We should look at more skills versus the schools that you went to and all of that. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about LinkedIn, because they've standardized how you say, this is the skill I have. They give you a list to choose from, which from a database perspective is Nirvana. Because now we have common language, right? Because if you rely on a resume, like how you describe the work you did and how good you are at doing it is very different than saying, I need skills in empathy. Yeah. I I do also know that it's just really hard for recruiters to understand. And it's hard for, for anyone in hiring, right? Like you can put words on the resume, but who knows if you are a really good team worker, right? Or you're really good at Python. Are you a beginner? Are you a master level? What are you? And no one can decipher that from a resume. Neither AI nor humans can. Like you can look at the experience and check, okay, maybe this person is 10 years old, so they probably are more advanced than others. But who knows? Resumes are not super predictive of job success on the other side, but it's incredibly hard to actually do smart parsing of these resumes, right? Because we have so little information on them. We just have keywords. 
-hmm. there's no validation of those skills, which is a massive challenge for the industry. And part of the challenge that we're all feeling is, do we want to implement more hard skills, challenges, exercises without causing too much friction in the process as well? But let's take a step way back, all right? If we look at the title, it ends with, why do we need to fight back? The question I have is, how do we fight back? How do job seekers fight back? How does a general population fight back? Because generally, we're looking for a job for really short periods of our lives, like two months, then five years after a month looking for a job. So how do we fight back? I mean, I don't know how, as job applicants, as you pointed out, we don't have a lot of power in this process. And I actually don't think it's helpful for a job applicant to say like, oh, I'm not going to do this one-way video interview. I don't think that's going to make HR managers cancel all of their procedures. Maybe if enough people complain, they'll get the hint that maybe they're not going to find qualified candidates. But I think just knowing what is happening in the industry is just really helpful. It's helpful for job applicants. What are they encountering? It's helpful for regulators or people who make the rules, right? If I do believe that we need a little bit more guardrails in this industry, but I think we also need to know how is technology being used to actually put in the appropriate guardrails. Like it doesn't help to just have these big laws that then don't work for every individual industry. But I also wrote the book for HR leaders to actually empower them and be like, don't just buy the marketing language that vendors sell you, like be skeptical, do some of these tests yourself. Because I think you do have maybe more power in your company. If you can show that this is not based on science, I hope a CEO or <laughs> CHRO or anyone will listen. And I assume that everyone wants to use more efficient tools, but also wants to make sure that they do reduce bias and actually find the most qualified candidates. And if you can show like, here's what we know from science, here's how we did some skeptical look at it, I, I hope companies will not implement a flawed tool that HR folks have identified or talent recruiters. Yeah, I think you you nailed it. I think it all starts with the HR leaders, the folks in talent acquisition pushing back to the leadership. But let's talk to those HR leaders right now. If you were in their position and you were looking to implement some type of AI tool, what considerations would you put in place before moving forward? Yeah, I do think that I'm trying to inspire a larger conversation about this because I'm not trying to say oh, these tools all suck. Let's all go back to traditional ways of hiring. Yeah. Right? We know that there's bias too. But it's actually think about what does make a good hiring process and how can we implement that? Like we know that personality tests have very little validity in terms of predicting how successful somebody will be in a role. Totally get that they have less bias. And I get that it's interesting to folks to find people who are maybe adaptable and you may be able to pull that out of some of these analyses. If we want to use that, Okay, but maybe you need to then have a more holistic approach that you also look at skills. But I think what we often see is like these AI tools are being used as a one screen. Either you make it or you get yeah. rejected. And I think that is unfair. You need to talk about, okay, how do we want to hire? What are like best practices in hiring? If you know structured interviews is a good idea, can we also use that when we have panel discussions with candidates, right? Like it doesn't have to be a, a video format that forces that. So I think we need to talk about like the plethora of things that we want to use? And can we then test some of these tools? Can we have more skeptical questions, checking the accuracy, the validity? I think a basic thing I've learned, if a vendor doesn't have a technical report and can tell you how the tool tested and yeah. how there is statistical 
validity and that there is no bias and how they tested for that, I think that's already a red flag. And Mm -hmm. then the second part I would urge everyone is read these validity reports really closely and understand what is in this like beautiful marketing language, like how up to date are these academic studies, maybe hire an employment lawyer who is really well versed in that to actually check. And I think a lot of folks assume that, okay, this big company uses this tool. So of course, they must have checked it. I I wouldn't assume that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I, I think maybe running a small pilot study, and actually closely scrutinizing that pilot study that is not involved in high stakes decision making, but just runs in the background, to actually figure out what are some of the things that come up? And do we actually have women and men going through the tool at, at similar rates? Do we have uh, uh, folks with uh, different ratios? I would also check for intersectionality. I know that the law, people feel it doesn't require it, but I think we see a lot of problems of AI tool right there for white men versus black women, for example. Like we yeah. see at these intersections that often the tool breaks down because there isn't enough training data on already marginalized folks. And I would also really think through, we have already underestimated women, people of color, people with disabilities, right? They're underrepresented in the world of work for a reason, because we as humans didn't trust them to be capable. And so the question is, let's not build AI tools that do the same thing. And I understand that the idea of one size fits all is a great idea and takes out the human bias that, you know, if I'm hungry, I see somebody differently than if I have a good day. But it may not actually work for everyone. One size may not work for everyone. And if people are not represented in the training data, or we ask them to play a game where you have to hit the space bar as fast as possible and they have a motor disability, it seems unfair. And I think we need to have everyone in mind, not just the middle, the big middle of quote unquote regular people who don't have a disability that can be to the detriment of folks. And I think everyone wants to diversify their company, right? If you have a diverse company and you calibrate tools on your workforce, maybe you will attract other diverse candidates. But Mm -hmm. usually we want to be more open and we don't want to fall into the trap of hiring folks based on the traits that they have. We Only if it's relevant to the job. I might be a great team worker, but if that's not required in the job, you may be hiring people for a trait they don't actually need and that's not relevant. And you might reject people who are perfectly qualified. So I think those are real questions. If you really think through the tools, like, wait a second, what does that have to do with the skills that I really need in the job? The other side, pushing HR managers and, and hiring managers to not just keep on adding to a job description, which I think we all do, right? Like it's incredibly yeah. hard to understand, okay, what does it actually take to do this job? And so we can just keep adding on from two years, we added five more things. And then we have these like 32 skills or whatever we want from people. And there's lots of people who don't have those 32 skills. And if you're ATS or applicant tracking system is calibrated to find the people with most of these skills that they have on their resume. Maybe the five people that have the five skills that they actually need and are really good at this, you might throw them out. So Ilka, I'll tell you, you have just summarized exactly where the process is completely broken because everything is anchored on a job description. And if you get the job description wrong, yeah then everything that falls out from thereafter will be wrong. Yeah. And there is this lather, rinse, repeat. We used it before. We're just going to add some more things onto it. We're going to use it again because it's hard. It's really yeah. hard to sit down and figure out what skills do we really need? Mm. And I love the analogy. You may have a team and if you're only taking the top performers of that team, 
then you're creating bias. You are. You absolutely are. Yeah, I do think that may, maybe our hiring processes are just really unfair because we just look at the individual. But what are the team dynamics? We can hire the most qualified person and the best team worker. They have a toxic boss. How are they going to succeed? We don't look at the like sort of circumstances around them. And some of the stuff we really cannot predict, like if somebody has, you know, they have to take care of a kid suddenly, they have caregiving obligations, they need to move. Like, I mean, those things are just really unpredictable if somebody's going to succeed or not. And maybe we just have to live with that un unpredictability. The question is, we're using AI to predict outcomes in the future that we can't predict. I don't know why we think AI can do a much better job than we can. I want to go back to the HR leaders. There's one thing that I'm trying to figure out, and I don't think there's a clear answer, is who is going to be liable at the end of the day? And everything mm -hmm. that I'm reading, it looks like it's that end company, not the vendors itself. What are you hearing? What's your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, I think we're really waiting for a lawsuit, like what happens if folks are being discriminated in the hiring process? Who's at fault? Is it the vendor that built the technology? Is it the company that uses the technology? And actually, this plays to a larger question that we haven't really fully understood what happens, for example, even arguably more high stakes scenarios. What if an AI tool leads to harm the patient in a healthcare yes. setting? Who's going to be at fault? Is it the software maker? Is it the vendor? I mean, we can't really hold AI accountable because it can pay damages. You know, it's a computer software. So there is really a question here. I think that's why vendors keep saying, oh, we don't make the decision. It's the company. Yeah. We just give them 100%. a suggestion. What I've also seen is that obviously, and I've done this myself, I've did all these tests. And even though when I knew Maybe the science is a little iffy here. I'm not really sure if the results can be trusted. Once I saw a result that I was scored this way or I was ranked this way, it's incredibly hard to step away from that because you do assume that this is meaningful. This ranking of yeah. 2,000 people is meaningful. And who would not call the first 50, right? Who was going to call the person who's ranked 1,999? I would assume that they're ranked at the bottom for some reason. It's actually not really clear in a lot of these AI tools. So we mm -hmm. haven't figured out the liability here. If something goes wrong. That's why we maybe also see a lot of uneasiness. Like obviously yeah. vendors, if something goes wrong with the tool, they're not going to publicize that. I've spoken to our folks who work for companies that utilize these AI tools and figured out maybe after a year or so that's actually not working, you know, outside of Amazon, who had that biased resume screener. Yeah. I've not seen a company publicly say, hey, we tried this, this didn't work. And I think that's to the detriment of the field a little bit. I understand my companies don't want to do it because they feel liability, right? If you publicly come out and say, oh, we used this for hiring and we found out that it discriminated against the majority of women, if you have thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people replied, you may have a large class action lawsuit. But I think the problem is that we don't have a lot of opportunity then to write the market because we don't know what goes wrong. So I was surprised when I started talking to employment lawyers who are there when companies maybe do a pilot program or do some due diligence. Not every company does, but some do. Yeah. And I was surprised like, oh yeah, we, you know, they tested this startup gamified assessment and we tried it 10 different ways. It just kept discriminating against women. It was not a business necessity. So we told the company to not use the tool. They didn't go with the vendor but we are none the wiser because the public or the larger field of TA folks don't know this. 
And I was surprised how much they found. One had looked at five resume screeners, found bias variables in five of them. Another employment lawyer found stuff in about a quarter of the tools that they looked at. Another one said like none of the tools I checked are ready for prime time. And even somebody who was very high up at, at Modern Hire, who left after the company was swapped by HireVue, told me that there are a lot of little theranosis in the field. And that's really a little bit frightening that we make high stakes decisions on people and there is snake oil or faulty algorithms and we know about it, but we don't really know about it. Part of the challenge is when it comes to social media, there's a lot of discussion with algorithm because we use social media on a daily basis, similar to the point of you're looking for a job every five years and you do not understand as a job seeker what goes behind the scene, right? The chances of hearing a complaint are very small and the vendors and the companies are in the position that, hey, I'm not hearing anything. It must be working, right? And that is a big issue in itself. Here is where I struggle. I've worked with thousands of hiring managers and the amount of bias that I've come across, unconscious or conscious bias, is high. And I'm not sure it can be worse than the bias that I've seen. Like I've been in discussions with hiring managers saying, hey, don't send me someone with an accent. Well, I know what that means, right? I guess my question to you, is there a chance, even if it's flawed, that it's still a hundred times better than a human making that end decision? Possibly. Let's run some numbers, right? Let's have yeah. long-term studies. Like I know enough computer scientists, sociologists, and people in academia who would love to do this. Could a company use a AI tool and also hire people via traditional means and keep the ranking sort of attach the people as they go through the system and hire people who in AI to are labeled as yes, maybe, and no, don't tell their managers and don't tell the people how they were ranked, but run them through the system for years to come and actually see for the like 10,000 people we hired over the last three years, did this actually yeah. ring true that they were more successful, less successful? I mean, it's put it to the test. I think my worry is I'm saddened to hear that there are human hiring managers who seem to be racist or yeah. have lots of bias. I guess my feeling is how much damage can one human hiring manager inflict, right? And I'm sorry for those 50 people. They did not hire or hire. And, uh, they, they were harmed and that sucks. The yeah. scope of some of these AI tools are kind of unprecedented. For example, Google gets about 3 million job applications every year. If you use one ATS system or one algorithm that doesn't let through lots of women because they have the word woman or women on their resume, you have just potentially discriminated against so many more yeah. people. So I think the scope is unprecedented. And I do also think, hey, now we're building these tools and we're spending a lot of money on them. Let's actually build better tools and let's actually have a conversation how we should build those. Such a good point. Uh, the scale is the big difference that I, I did not put in perspective. Mm -hmm. And when we think about the use of ChatGPT from the job seeker, to take their resume, take the job description and say, write my resume to match this job description. So if you want to talk about accelerating the problem for recruiters, which then say it is absolutely impossible for me to sort through 3 million resumes. With ChatGPT, the problem I think we're headed for is just going to accelerate because job seekers can now apply to 100 different jobs with a resume that matches the job posting, it's almost like we're going to start a war here. I think it is really AI versus AI, right? A lot of companies use some sort of applicant tracking system and some of them 
have AI built in. I don't have any knowledge which company turns what plugin on or what process. We know there's automation in the process and job seekers know that more and more as well. So they feel Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little bit empowered that they can use ChatGPT to polish their resume, to help them write a cover letter. I don't think you want to just have generative AI write all of this for you. Make sure that it's factually correct and that making the product better for yourself. I I do feel like, how are we going to make sense of all this generated information? I mean, I think one thing that I've been thinking about that is like a vision in the future, is there a way that folks who want to test themselves through different assessments could do that and then put it somewhere on the blockchain so it's safe there, it can't be hacked into, and these are proven skills that Hilke has, and I can add to them and I can appeal the process if something is wrong. And so actually, I don't think that's true because that was a different Hilke who took that assessment. Yeah. Um, I think that might be helpful because the, the way it works now that it's like one company and one job applicant and you just have to do 50,000 assessments all the time. It's just hiring for job applicants. And I'm sure for talent acquisition folks too, they're like, I know you did this Python assessment for that other company, but I need to do it too because we need it for our records. Let's do it again. It's like tiring for everyone. Exhausting. Well, yeah. I think you talked about one of potentially the solutions. There's a company that does this called CV Wallet. It's basically bringing those skills that are blockchain certified. Wherever you go, those skills are those skills and they can be verified and it gives you an advantage as employers are looking at you. One of the things I was trying to figure out though, Hilka, is going through the book, there was many different tools that you looked at from every aspect of HR. And I know there's one tool that you looked at that was in the gaming section, right? Mm-hmm. It leverages psychometric testing that has been used in talent acquisition since the 1950s. The science behind it is very old, and you can argue if it's been validated or not. But what's your overall thoughts of psychometric testing that's been around forever, and it's still used in the process right now? What's your thoughts there? I do think about that a lot because I do think, how should we take in psychometrics? Like the difference between people, and I think we have to be honest that sometimes the validations are a little low in some of them and the predictiveness. And is this fair, right? That we group people and we know that it's only predictive for like 30%. That means 70%. We may be wrong here. But I do think that some of them look at like so, sort of more traditional methods, linear regression and other things, actually, they have similar validity as AI tools. And the one benefit is that it's much more controlled and there's way less biased variables because you can control for those variables. And I think the problem is that we've seen again and again, when we use AI tools and take every word on a resume into these tools, you know, it starts that these AI tools, they look for statistical significance. So apparently in some of these resumes, Venus Thomas was, was a predictor of success, right? They were probably a bunch of Thomases in the training data. Who knew? Maybe a popular name at that time. People <laughs> hired lots of people. But also like locations and some other things that I think are problematic. Looking at testing AI tools also versus traditional methods and some of these pilot phases could be really helpful to think through, okay, are these like the measures? So there's lots of thoughts that we have to think about and like how valid are the differences between people? I think what we're trying to figure out, especially when it comes like psychometric testing on soft skills is... For an example, is people coming out of 
college, right? They don't have hard skills yet. They've not experienced. So a lot of companies are trying to figure out how can they pick the best because they get thousands of resumes of people coming out of school looking for that first entry level. And in some ways, I feel like no longer about where you went to school, which was a huge bias in the past. And it could equalize the playing field, at least yeah, for a if, lot of people. Like, I'm like truly trying to understand how can we measure soft skills in a quantifiable, reliable, scientific way? The jury is out on that one. How to do that? Is it the words that I use to, to describe a scenario in a job interview? Is that really enough? Sometimes I feel like one of the best predictors of success in the job is like doing the job, right? And that's really hard. Most companies are not going to hire someone for a month and then let them all go. That is not doable and would be horrible for job applicants as well. But can we use maybe VR or, or something like that to actually test people on the five most important skills that folks have identified? And maybe teamwork is one of them or some other soft skills, but throw them into different scenarios and play it out a little bit. And I think that would actually be helpful for job applicants as well to sort of learn what am I being asked to do in this job? Because in a job description, there are certain keywords that you have to hit. It doesn't tell me a whole lot about the job. So I think that might be helpful. But I do worry sometimes when I see agility, adaptability, I'm like, great, like I want adaptable and agile people too. But how do we measure that? And how do we find the right people? And there's also something that like, you know, with personality tests, they seem pretty rigid in a way. And this may very well be my personality. My personality is I'm a little bit shy, actually, and I had to work to overcome that. I had to work on like going to job functions and introduce myself. And in the realm of journalism, it was easier to reach out people. It feels like it's my job. But to go to receptions and shake people's hands that I don't know, and I'm standing around, it's just like very uncomfortable for me. But I think we as humans also have the ability to overcome that. And that is not being checked in some of these tools, right? It checks like, what are your preference? And maybe I'm not very conscientious, but if I work as an accountant, maybe I train myself to be very conscientious. Mm. So I think those are things to think about as well, that we have the ability to adapt, but how do we measure that? And I do not know that. I feel like measuring soft skills is the new frontier and I don't have an answer to that either. You know, Hilka, a very wise person said to me in the very beginning of my recruitment career, if anyone ever figures out how to measure desire, they will be the wealthiest person in the world. Because that's really what you're talking about. I could have no skills at all, but if I've got the determination, grit, whatever, but it's really the desire because you can't stop me if I want to learn this or I want to do this, right? But how do we measure that? I don't know. When you want somebody with resilient, but you also don't want somebody who is resilient, but they're an asshole to everyone. To yeah. be quite I mean, <laughs> you know, if everyone is adaptable and agile in your organization, they might also adapt themselves to other jobs in, in other companies yeah. pretty quickly, right? You may not want that. It might be hard to reduce somebody to one soft skills, but I hear you. It's difficult. I'm not envying talent acquisition folks to look at thousands of resumes of people who have the same degree, and they don't have a lot of job experience and then figure out who is the best, who should come here. I know. Um, I know. I do want to ask you this. In your research and in your study, as you ask around, is there anyone that you can point to, whether it's a technology, a vendor, or a company, I'm hoping, that is doing it well? Because I think it's really easy to say who's not doing it very well, and we can look at the failures. But where's the good news? Are there organizations that they're pace setters? They really get it. Yeah. 
I would love to talk to them too. And I'm being very honest here that I did want to try to talk to folks who are doing it well. And I think there are some that are actually really thoughtful about Mm. the process. And, you know, when I talked to Criteria and Matthew Neal in the book, I really felt like, okay, they really have tested all different ways of doing this and really thought about all the different ways. And I think also John Scott, who I called many times and talked to, has also very measured and clear approach. And like, how do we have the right methodology to test all these tools? And what are we thinking about this? But I know a couple of companies that I think are having the right idea. I haven't tested their product. So I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit reluctant to endorse anyone because I feel like I haven't actually looked at the underlying sign. But I would love to speak to companies where the tools work. And I actually think with Eightfold and some of the other companies that are more focused on skills and looking at the larger big data, like inferring skills. And I think that might be actually helpful for women who overall tend to be a little bit more shy, right? And it takes them a little bit more time to actually put a skill on their resume where a lot of men are a little bit more confident. And so if a tool could infer that if I have these three basic skills, but like most other people who have applied for the job who also have these skills, have these 10 other skills, it might actually level the playing field a little bit more. The problem is that these companies also cannot go beyond what is on the resume. So you have the same problem, right? That they can infer Mm -hmm. skills, they can infer transferable skills, but you still don't don't know, even if I'm in the job for 10 years, am I really a master yeah. software developer in these languages, right? Like they can mm-hmm, mm-hmm. go beyond that. And some companies are working on that, of having like assessments on a blockchain and feeding that into the system. But I think there has to be a, a lot of thoughts behind each other. And, and I'm happy to work with people to figure out, can we build a resume screener that is not biased? And can we mm. put the ways that it doesn't work also into the public interests? Can we build other tools? Can we do the heavy lifting and do the science? I think it would take a lot of time, but I would love to partner with companies and work on that. I think they just have to be okay with transparency around these tools. And I don't envy startups because they have to bring a product to market as fast as they can. And science takes a lot of time. So I think there's a real pressure Mm -hmm. to monetize the tool. Mm -hmm. And so I hope is, okay, if we can build some of these tools in the public interest, can we put pressure on companies to use the right technologies that we know work? And and maybe that's too naive of a thought, but that is one way because, you know, we're not going to see aggressive regulation in the space. And I doubt that would actually be helpful. I don't think the government has the capabilities of testing all of these tools, right? That's So Shelly is a positive one and I'm the negative one or the one that's a little bit more scared (laughs) for the future. And I'll tell you, reading your book scared me in some ways because there's a lot of things I didn't think about. One of them was vendors having access to your health information, the ability to make Mm -hmm. decisions based on your social media profile, all of this. But I guess my question here is, are we fucked? Like, is there a way... I don't think so. That's why I wrote the book. Let's intervene now that this is still in its infancy. And let's make sure we get rid of the tools that actually also feel creepy, right? And I do think that might be an appeal to folks who work in HR. And that that applies to monitoring workers, but also hiring workers. Would you want your son or your daughter to go through these tools or yourself? If this is creepy to you, like, why are you subjecting others to go through this? And that's just a gut check. But start questioning and and look through these tools. I do feel actually that knowing 
how prevalent and how flawed some of these tools are is actually helpful to actually f- think through, okay, well, how can we build better tools? Like, how can we mm-hmm. ask the right questions to not buy the wrong tools? Because I assume that no one in HR and talent acquisition wants to buy the wrong tools. They just need an efficient tool and it looks mm-hmm. fine, but that's not the solution. Well, and this is partly what scares me too, when you mentioned that regulation is probably not going to be enough. So it really falls on the HR teams and the companies because there is a ton of startups in this space that have no experience in HR talent acquisition. They had a negative experience applying for a job or they were a hiring manager and be like, yeah, there's a better way of doing this. And they understand AI, they build a tool without understanding everything that goes around physically hiring someone. So it puts us in um, a really tough position overall, right? Who is going to stop? And I think it is us, the talent acquisition professionals being like, hey, this is not right. We got to dig in deeper. So I I do want you to take out your crystal ball here. So we're 2024 (laughs) now. Okay, let's move forward to 20. 30, which is six mm-hmm. years. And it's not it, too far out. It, no. it feels far, but it, it's really not far out. And the pace of change and what we're seeing with AI, what does 2030 look like for hiring? I hope we have massively better tools. And I do think that generative AI can be really helpful. I mean, it's sort of a chatbot function. And we had that before in HR that people have come up with a solution. I think that's really great. Who wants to sit in HR and tell me every six weeks how many vacation days I have left, right? So that can be automated. There's a whole way to automate some of these things. But I think for hiring and to monitor workers, we have to be really careful. So I hope that we'll have larger discussion. Actually, we'll have some guardrails around this, how much you can monitor people at work. How much do you have to disclose to people or to your employees yeah. how much you monitor them? Because I think that might actually stop some companies from going like into the creepiness realm. I hope that people will learn from all of this, from these misfires, and we have an open conversation because I know that companies already know that some of these AI tools that I write about are flawed. So let's figure out how to build better tools that actually work. And I do hope that that is possible. So you're saying we're not close to robots hiring other robots. We still got some time. I I think we do. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This was great, Hilke. I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, So first of all, for everyone listening, please do go get the book. The algorithm, how AI decides who gets hired, monitored, promoted, and fired, and why we need to fight back. It's available everywhere. Amazon is probably where most people go. But if anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way, Hilka? I think probably LinkedIn. And I think LinkedIn is like also the perfect medium. There's also only yeah. one Hilka Shellman. So you'll be able to find me. I also have a website, hilkashellman.com, but it's probably easiest to find me via LinkedIn because I post about this stuff. I'm eager to hear from people what they think about the book, what they think worked in it. Was it helpful? How can it be more helpful for the industry? I'm just fascinated how we quantify people. And I think that fascination is not, I'm, I'm not done with it. I'm still utterly yeah. curious about that. I was going to ask you, what's next? Are you staying in this space? <laughs> me too. Like, are you going to... Hey, you know, please tell me you're going to write a sequel. I, I do think there is a whole lot more. I really am interested in the health assessments and the predictive AI about health moving into the place of work. Interesting. We, we will see a lot of that. And uh, to look closer at that, I think that is probably... One of my next projects is going to be a book. Is it going to be a podcast, a film? I don't know yet. <laughs> Maybe all of it. 
Why Maybe. Not? All <laughs> of the above. Yes. Elka, thank you so much for coming on. It's greatly appreciated. And everyone, go buy that book right now. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for really delving into the topic with me and having a really hopefully productive conversation for folks out there. Love Wonderful it. to meet you. Thank you so much. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.